So last week we looked at how basically Paul tells us suffering is going to happen in this life, but that God is the great comforter, that, that whatever comfort we receive will, you know, in everything, God is going to comfort us, and then that we are then able to take the comfort that we got and pass it along to others. And that that's really kind of what God expects, is that whatever comfort we receive, we comfort others. We use that. And, you know, if you notice, we're, we're never to be simply just receiving the things of God. We, we always seem to receive to give. You know, God kind of expects us to just always pass things along. Whatever he gives us, whatever wisdom, whatever comfort, he expects us to then use it for other people. And that sounds wonderful, and it is, but there does become, there comes a moment where this kind of thing gets very, very real. And that is when we get overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed in life? And I mean the, God, what is going to happen? Why is this happening? I'm at the end of my strength. I'm about to, I'm freaking out on the inside and I'm about to have a nervous breakdown, kind of overwhelmed. It's not fun. I mean, this is one of those things that we, you know, causes people sometimes to genuinely question the love of God in their lives. Because we reach this point and it's, you know, today, faith is often sold as life enhancement. Right? Just trust Jesus and you'll be happy. I mean, you've kind of heard that sales pitch for, for the gospel. You need Jesus in your life. Well, I mean, life is pretty good. Oh, but it can be really good. And there's an illustration that kind of shows, you know, when we sell the gospel as life enhancement, that you need Jesus in your life so you'll be really happy, that just doesn't hold up a lot of times. Because the gospel's not about life enhancement, okay? But think of it like this. Say you got on an airplane and you're flying somewhere, and somebody came up to you and said, hey, here's a parachute, and it's going to make your flight way better. If you'll just put on the parachute, I promise this flight is going to be amazing. And you think, ah, that doesn't really make sense, but okay, you know, maybe I'm missing something. So you put it on, and then you sit down, and you realize your seat doesn't fit right now, like you're, you're hunched forward. And, you know, every time you got to move, it's just, it's kind of there with you and it's heavy and you get up and you got to go, you know, to the restroom and it's heavy. And, and then you start to notice people are looking at you and they're like, why is the guy wearing a parachute? Why, why are they wearing a parachute? And they're even pointing it out. And after a while you start thinking, this really isn't making anything better. And so what happens? I think I'm going to take it off and just kind of go with the flow here of, of what things are supposed to be. But what if a person came to you and said, you need this parachute? You go, why? And they said, because I got 10 clear signs that I can show you that this plane is about to crash. Would you then, like, take that parachute and be very grateful for it? You know, if they're able to say, hey, there are 10 clear signs here. Look, that wing over there, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I know that wing is probably there's a, here. This is, you know, that window's cracked over there. And, and they're just able to point it all out to you. You're not going to be so concerned about the quality of the flight anymore, are you? You're going to look at your own life of like, I need this to survive. So that when the, when the plane starts to go down, 
I know I'm going to be able to abandon ship and be okay. I'm going to be able to jump out and, and have something to save me. This is how we need to start to learn to look at our faith. It is the parachute there to save us from a broken world, not to make a broken world feel like heaven. Okay, this is never and never will be about heaven on earth. And so the Apostle Paul, after talking about how God is going to comfort us, he actually goes into a very personal account of when he himself was completely overwhelmed by life. And he was overwhelmed by life after he was a Christian. So this is when he's an apostle. This is when he has a relationship with God that is incredibly unique and powerful. The man's healing people. The man has seen a vision of heaven. He, he's been bitten by a snake and not died. I mean, he, he has seen miracle after miracle after miracle. He has walked as close to God as any human basically has. And yet, listen to what he says. Okay, look with me in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Now, this is one of those moments of, of Paul kind of pulling back the curtain and him letting you see him. Now, now, how many fellow Gen Xers we got out here? Gen X? Generate Gen X? Right, we got some? Yeah. Now, there's a phrase that, that Gen Xers really love, and it is called being real. Right? I mean, we, we just do. We like, you know, let's be real. Let's, let's be open about things. It's something my generation really likes. Well, this is a moment for that. Now, too many times being real is used more as an excuse, you know, that, hey, look, we can all sin and we won't say anything about it. You know, being real is just talking about the struggle but not actually getting to the cure. Uh, we want to take it a step further. And that's what Paul does here. But he goes ahead and he opens up and he says, look, I experienced something that was bad enough that I had given up. Now, how many of you have ever been there? He'd given up. I mean, he... he what did he say? He says, we were burdened beyond our strength. Now, he's writing, and so sometimes we, we don't get the full impact of what he's saying right here. But he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul thought this was the end. He literally was like, I'm going to die. This is it. I, I, I see no way for this to go forward. Utterly burdened means to be, to be or become distressed with extreme sorrow. It is conceived of bearing a burden too heavy to bear mentally. It was too much. I mean, he literally was at the breaking point where he said it's, it's over. Okay? When he says despaired of life itself, to be in extreme despair implying both anxiety and 
he had reached the low point of, I see no way forward. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's seen miracle after miracle. He, he, he's, you know, heard from the risen Lord on the road to Damascus when he was saved. He, he's an apostle. And life beat him down so much at this point. You know, the afflictions just seemed to come from everywhere. And, and he had a thorn in his flesh that we're going to talk about later in this book that he likely had some kind of health issue, possibly with his eyes, that was terrible. It was tormenting to him. And then when he talks about Asia, this is possibly when he was in Ephesus and the entire city rioted and, and they wanted him dead. And, I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen. And, and he looked at all of it and it all had such a profound impact on him that he, he's just like, it's, it's over. This is it. This is it. I'm about to die. I've been given a death sentence. There is no hope going forward. See, when he says, I feel like I've received the sentence of death, he's saying that, like, judgment was pronounced. Like, God has, has given up. This is it. It's over. Now, how many of you have that view of the Apostle Paul when you think of him? Right? I mean, we, we miss it. We forget that he was a person just like us. And you know what? Every single person has their limit. In fact, I want you to listen to, to, to the 88th Psalm. Okay, we're going to read the whole thing. It's not that long. Uh, but I, just, I want you to get a feel for the psalmist here who is in a similar place. Okay? He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Now that's your daily dose of encouragement, right? Now why would God allow? I mean, that psalm is not exactly uplifting. That's not one of those that we're like, yes, let's read that in the day of trouble, right? So why would God put that in there? Because faith itself it's not always pretty. It's not always easy. It's not always God showing up when we want Him to. Okay, sometimes 
faith is about just hanging on any way you possibly can. And then finding out that even what you thought you were going to use to hang on doesn't seem to be enough. Now, I said seems. We're going to get there in a second. You see, God would put Psalm 88 in there and have Paul start talking to us about, I despaired of life. I thought I had a death sentence. I, I gave up. Why would he tell us all that? Because God wants us to know it's okay not to be okay. And I mean that. It is okay not to be okay at different times in life. Sometimes we get this view of faith that if I have faith in God, then I'll, I won't struggle. Because what is it? It's about enhanced life. It's about life quality. And if my life is bad, then that must mean my faith is bad, which means God isn't listening to me, which means my faith is useless. What do I do now? Except that's not scriptural. That's not the life of faith at all. Okay, what's not okay is being unwilling to admit that you're not okay. Notice the Apostle Paul's just open about it. He says, hey, I, I despaired of life. I'd given up. I thought I had a death sentence. And he wants them to be aware. Why? Because he's talking to them. This is kind of part two from last week where he says he's the God of all comfort. He will be there for you. He's the God of mercies, the, the God of all comfort. He's, he's there and he will get you through, but it's not going to go how you think it's going to go. But he will get you through it. And so he says, I don't want you to be unaware. Look, I have gone through this. I get it. And I was so bad that I had given up. I thought I was about to die. I just despaired, like utter despair. He had given up. See, we all have a limited amount of strength, resolve, energy, willpower. And sometimes... Life is going to just be too much. And anybody who tells you that faith is going to make it where that isn't so, they have not studied their scripture. Because it will. In fact, here's the truth. The hard truth of this is that the life of faith will break you. It will. At some point. Now, it doesn't break us to leave us broken. And when we trust God and we understand the process, at least intellectually, we can have our hope placed in God and not in ourselves. And that's what, that's what he talks about here. That's what Paul says, that this was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. You see, we have to rely on God and not ourselves and not our circumstances and not the outcome that we think it needs to be or not the timing that we think it needs to be. And there is no easy way to go through this process. There, there isn't. There's no three steps to overcoming being overwhelmed. There's no, you know, read this book and now everything is better. We want it to be, don't we? And, and to be honest, sometimes as Southern Baptists, we, we kind of don't know what to do with these moments. And so we'll, we'll tell people things like, well, just, just read your Bible more. Just pray more. And, and all, both of those are good. I'm not knocking at all. I mean, we, we Southern Baptists, we'll throw a Bible study at anything, won't we? Like, we need this. Do the Bible study. <laughs> and, and we'll get into it. 
But anybody who has been in this moment, a Psalm 88 moment, an Apostle Paul in Asia moment, knows it's really hard to read Scripture and, and feel better about things in the middle of that. It just is. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. You want to really help somebody in that moment? Grab them and just pray for them. Don't give advice. Don't try to solve it. Don't, don't preach to them. Pray with them and support them. Don't, don't try to explain away the pain either. Because it doesn't help. In fact, it kind of makes it worse, right? I mean, there, there are times where we're like, please don't talk to me. And no, it's not rational. I, I, we are getting into the thick, ugly mess of, of broken humanness, of broken humanity in, in a broken world and faith within that. It's not ever going to be pretty. And so I want you to listen to this verse again that, that, that he says that all of this happened to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, there's a key word in there, and it says to make us. As in, this isn't something we're going to do willingly. Now, we, we have any control people out here like you just you need to be in control of things. I won't make you raise your hand because you won't. That, you won't like that. Other people like wanting to raise them for you. <laughs> no, we do. We, we all have control issues at some level. We, we really do. And we want to control it, and we want it to work out in time in a certain way, and we, we have our ideas of life needs to look like this. What happens when God says, actually, it doesn't? And what I want your life to look like is going to look very different from what you think it's going to look like. Do you think we just lay it down and say, God, you're right. You're right. I know I've thought life would be this way forever, but it's going to be like this, and so I'll just make the transition myself without any help. Oh, no. We will claw and grab and hold, and God sometimes just has to literally beat it out of us before we will listen to him. And it's not God being cruel. But when the Apostle Paul even says that it is to make us rely not on ourselves but on God, he, he's saying I, God had to take me to this point where I was out of gas personally. I was done. I despaired. I, I was full of fear and anxiety. I, I was convinced I was going to die and there was no way out. Like this was the end. And it was the end until it wasn't. And he says, then we realized this was the power of God. There was nothing he could have done. He couldn't have prayed more. He couldn't have thought differently. He couldn't have done anything other than trust God. And that's why he says it's God who raises the dead. He, he has to throw in this description of God. as like when you get overwhelmed in these points, sometimes the resolution is just not going to make any sense. It won't be something you saw coming. It's not something that you could arrange. It's not something, it's just going to happen. And that's how God shows up. And suddenly you're out of it. And you look back and go, well, that was completely God. And then we ask ourselves, why did I get so worked up over that? You know why? Because you relied on yourself. And it is extremely painful to come to the end of yourself in your own strength. 
And we will claw and fight to hold on to it as long as we can until the moment we finally are like, okay, that's it. It's over. That's it. I, no more. I got nothing left. And God says, cool. Now I got it. And let me show you what I'm going to do so that I get the glory, so that I am the one that carries you. And the Apostle Paul himself did this. Now, what did this process do? At its core, when he says he made us rely not on ourselves, but on God, God was destroying an idol in Paul's life. And we don't like to hear that, but he really was. What idol was he destroying? The idol of self-sufficiency. We can make that an idol. I can handle it. How many times have you ever told yourself, I can handle it? And God says, actually, you can't, and I'm going to prove it to you. But I'm going to get you through it. And it's, it, it, this is one of the great paradoxes, and I mean that, of the Christian faith. This does not make sense. There is no point when we can ever unravel this and be like, okay, this makes total sense on why. Because we're at that crossroads of the, the finite and the eternal, the, the limited and the unlimited and our brokenness and God's holiness, and it's somewhere where those cross paths that he says, I'm going to destroy the idols that you have in yourself, but I'm going to replace it with faith and trust in me. And that can get ugly. And so many times, God will often destroy our idols through pain. And it's not God being mean, it's actually God loving us enough to say, you have to let go of this. You have to. And so sometimes the amount of pain, we really determine it. And I, I say this now, look, if you're in the middle of something like this, and you're like, I'll do whatever I got to do to make the pain stop, to make this go away. Look, it's God will show up when he shows up. But sometimes the pain aspect of it is simply because we have dug in our heels and we've become stiff-necked and we just refuse to let God be God. You see, he destroyed the idol of self-sufficiency, but by worldly standards, Paul had accomplished a lot by his own power. I mean, who was Paul? He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He had excelled in his field at a very young age, well beyond people his own age. He had accomplished everything that you could want to accomplish in that culture, in that time. Like he was at the top. This guy was accomplished. He had done everything. And so Paul was not a guy to shrink from a challenge. Okay, what I mean, I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. Okay, he goes into a city and gets stoned to death for preaching the gospel. They drag his body outside of the city and leave him. The believers in that town come and pray over him. God raises him from the dead. And Paul gets up and goes right back in the city and is like, I'm back. And I'm preaching again. I, if Paul was not one to shrink. From a challenge. He took it head on every single time in his life. So how bad did that have to be when he says, I gave up. Paul knew how to handle challenges. I mean, just mentally in himself, he was a pretty strong person. How bad did that have to be for him to say, I, I gave up? You see, Paul had to learn something here. And it's a lesson we all have to learn in our own way that it's not about us. And what God calls us to do 
cannot be accomplished by our own strength. It cannot be accomplished by our own intellect and our own talents. We can't do it without the Spirit of God guiding us and empowering us and sustaining us. And it's that sustaining part that we're like, well, well God just... I mean, we start trying to change the board. We keep trying to fix it. And God's like, you can try all you want. Your strength will not get this done. And he'll let us spend our strength trying before he shows up. And so, what does it mean to rely on ourselves? I mean, let's really think about that for a second. What does it mean? It means that we believe we have what it takes to figure it out to overcome whatever it is by our own strength, our own intelligence, or our own talent. To believe that we can handle it. Now let me just tell you this right now. You don't have what it takes to handle the life of faith on your own. None of us do, okay? That is the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to do that, that empowers us, that, that enlightens us to understand the things of God. We can't do it on our own. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that the mind, just the mind, apart from God, is futile and darkened. We can't even think a right thought without God's help. And so when it comes to, to try to make it through life and to really handle the, the incredible challenges that God is going to throw at us, and wants us to endure for him. And, and he's going to be glorified through them. We have to learn to rely on him and not ourselves. And so when he says to make us rely not on ourselves, he, he means it. Paul came out of that ordeal with a new perspective on life. That hey, however bad it gets, if God wants to deliver us, he will. And I'm just going to trust him for it. And that's where he says to make us rely not on ourselves. And then he says uh, he delivered us, verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. He's just kind of come to terms with, I think my life is going to be chaos. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'm going to get run out of town. Every time I do, I mean, he, he's gone to prison, he's been stoned, he's been flogged, he's been shipwrecked, he's been, everything that could happen has happened to him. And yet, what happened? God delivered him every time. Now, did God stop it from happening? No. Was it a failure of faith on Paul's part that these things happened? No. It was just the life that God had called him to. And sometimes we think, I think we make an idol of comfort also, not just self-sufficiency, but comfort. We think we're entitled to things going easy or smoothly. And God says, oh no, there is no smooth lane in the lane of faith. In fact, what did Jesus say about that? He says, the way is broad and the way is easy that leads to destruction. You want smooth and easy, that's the road to destruction. The path is narrow and difficult that leads to life. If we're walking that path, we just have to come to expect it's, it's going to get bumpy. And we have to make room for it in our hearts and our minds that it's going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean we walk around as pessimists and we lose hope. We just understand that 
God's going to be the one to deliver us. God will be the one who, who opens the door somehow. How? I don't know. You know, Peter gets arrested for preaching the gospel. And he's in prison. And an earthquake happens. The door's just over. An angel just shows up, opens the door, says, leave. That's probably not how he envisioned in his mind that going. But that's what God did. And Paul learned that lesson firsthand in life as he, he got to the end of his strength and was so overwhelmed that he was depressed, he was over, just had no strength left, none. And then God rescues him, and, and he's like, you know what, I learned. He'll deliver me again. I, I have to learn to rely on God. And, and with all that in mind, there's a, a very famous passage, many of you know it, in Isaiah 40, but I want you to listen to it with this in mind, Okay. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, how many of you have heard that verse? Right? We love it, right? Oh, we're going to mount up with wings like eagles. This is great. This is the stuff of faith. What comes first? What did, what did he say? He says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. We kind of forget the first part of that verse. That God's strength is going to show up at the end of our strength. And so we love quoting the last verses of that. Oh, I'm going to be strong. No, you're not going to be strong. You're going to be broken. And then God is going to fill in the gap. Well, that puts a different spin on that verse, doesn't it? Some of you are going to go home. you got it on a magnet. You're going to be like, take it off the fridge. I don't like that verse anymore. <laughs> but this is the way it, strength, our strength must first be exhausted in order to be renewed. And that's what he says. Those that wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. It's got to be exhausted first. And this is, as I've said before, this is the pattern of the life of faith. Obedience, death, burial, resurrection, glorification. That is the pattern, and it will always follow that pattern. We want the rebirth without the death. And it will never happen. And so what does Jesus say? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, the end of strength. He says, if you're at the end, you're ready. You're ready to learn. You're ready to receive. You are ready to experience the power of God in your life.
And so what he's talking about here could be all who labor under incorrect beliefs, all who labor under idols of self-sufficiency and, and delusions of their own strength, all who labor under the idols of comfort and, and you just can't get your life the way you want it to be, those who labor under false beliefs that God is there to, to give me what I want. That's a labor, right? You ever tried to get God to do something? And you, and you pray 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 and He just will not answer? And you're like, but God, this is a good thing. And He won't answer. You know why? Because we're trying to tell God how to be God. And you know what He's telling us? The position's filled. And you're not qualified. Stop telling me how to do my job. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. These burdens in life, when they break us, and they will at some point, Jesus says, I'll be here waiting. Come to me when you hit that point, and I will give you rest. Now notice, he said rest. He didn't say, I'll remove them all from you, and you'll never have to deal with them again and everything will work out the way you want it to work out. No, what did he say? He says, I'll get you through it. I'll give you rest. And that's what the life of faith is about, is that we are able to get through whatever life throws at us because of the strength that Jesus gives. It's not about clearing the road and never having it. It's not about avoiding it. It's about getting through it. And in fact, doesn't Paul say that? He says, I've learned. You see, later, a later letter he writes from prison and to the Philippians. He says what? He says, I've learned the secret of life. I've learned what it is to be well-fed and hungry. I've learned what it is to have abundance and to be in need. I've learned how to, to get through any of this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, that verse is not about superhuman abilities showing up because God wants you to do it. That verse is about being able to withstand the trials of life because you have Jesus. And that, again, is a verse that gets very quoted out of context when we, when we look at the transactional view of faith. If I do good things, God will do good things for me. You know, that is not faith. That is not faith. And when we get that in our mind, this transactional view of things, that if I do for God, He'll do for me, those are called wages. That is not grace. That is not faith. That is us earning God's favor. And we think, if I do enough good, God will do good for me. That's not faith. Faith says, I'm going to follow God wherever it leads. And whatever I meet along the way, God will get me through it. Because God is trustworthy and God is good. And he will provide the strength necessary for the moment. Paul came to learn that. And so it's, it's interesting to see in Paul's life, here in 2 Corinthians, he talks about learning that lesson in Asia. Then you see he's really come to terms with it. And by the time you get to Philippians, when he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He has figured it out by that point. And he's writing from prison saying, hey, you should rejoice in the Lord because God is good. 
And, and he's grateful for the things God's done while he's chained in prison because he's like, hey, I can get through this. Not because of my own strength, but because God is with me. And so one of the main things to help us in these moments is prayer. Prayer is essential in this respect. And again, not to remove the suffering, not to try to, to change life in such a way as God is just ordering things how you know we think they should be. But listen to what Paul says. He says, you also must help us by prayer. He's talking about being afflicted. He's talking about God comforting. He's talking about sharing how hard this has been for him. And then he tells a command. Here's the command through all of this that we've talked about. The command is what? Pray for us. He tells the Corinthians, you must help by prayer. Think, let that set in. In, in all of this that Paul has to say, his first real command to them in the midst of talking about this suffering and everything is what? You've got to help us by praying for us. Now, were they praying, God, make his life easy? Don't let there be any struggle? No, he, he's just praying, just let God's strength deliver us. You, you put God forward in somebody else's life through your prayer life as well. Just keep doing that. It says, you, must, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Now, what he's saying is, as they experience affliction, as Paul experiences affliction, and the Corinthians then start praying for him, and he's delivered, whose faith is going to grow in that moment? Everybody's. Even the second, the, the Corinthians, the, the second they find out, like, hey, he's going to, to he's being released, he's being delivered from this, they're going to be like, God answered our prayers. And their faith is going to grow. Paul's faith is going to, people are going to be giving thanks and God will be glorified. And it's not because of anybody's particular strength or resolve that it happened. And so Paul tells him, you must pray for them. And look, in a system where we are 100% dependent on God for strength, deliverance, and life, it makes sense that prayer is at the top of the list of things that are necessary for us. I mean, if we're completely dependent on him, which we are, then we really should stay in touch with him quite regularly, right? We, we should check in with life. It's like, hey, I, this is where I'm at, God. I, you know, am I doing this right? It, help me to be faithful to you, even in the trial. Help me to, to do what you want me to do. Help me to rely on your strength and not my own. We, we have to pray but we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. And that is the command here is that he says, you've got to help us by praying for us. And he says, you must do this. This isn't like a voluntary, you know, hey, if you think about it, pray for me. What does Paul say? He says, you've got to do this. You have to pray for us. It is essential. Now, Paul also said in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to love one another and bear each other up in whatever way we can. Okay, bear one another's burdens. Now, 
there are things we can't do for each other. I can pray for you, but I can't substitute your prayer life. Okay, I can teach you scripture, but I can't read scripture for you. You see, there, each of us has to bear our own load within the faith of walking with God and taking responsibility for ourselves to, to spend time in prayer, to understand the scriptures, to, to do what's right in life. I can encourage you in those things, but I can't do it for you. And so in Galatians, what he's talking about right there when he says bear one another's burdens, the verse before that he says, brothers, if any of you is caught in a sin, overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a one gently. But take heed lest you yourselves are tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, he's talking about helping each other in the struggle. When we are tempted to want to let go, when we are tempted to want to give up, when we are tempted by the world and, and, and sin gets into our lives, he says that's when the church should spring to action and be a support system for each other. I can't live the Christian life for you, but when you are struggling with the Christian life, we as a church need to be there for those people to bear them up and help them through that struggle. This is why Satan works so hard to keep people from ever admitting struggle in the church. And to keep our churches at a place where we, we walk around with the mask on, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, when it's not fine. You know, we Christians sometimes are the absolute worst at shooting our wounded. And I mean that. There can be people, man, they're just barely hanging on in life. And look, I don't know about you, but, but when I get in an overwhelmed state like that, I go half stupid. My, my brain just starts shutting off, and I start making choices that are stupid. And the last thing a person needs in that moment is to somebody come along and just start beating on them even further. You're like, I know, I know, the world, I mean, it's just everything's collapsing, and then you're just like, what is going on? You know what you need in that moment? You need people to come along and say, hey, we get it. We're here for you. We're not here to judge you. We are here to encourage you. We want to pray with you. And we do want to help you to see the path forward of what God wants for you. Because God is going to get you through this. And we are here for you. That's where we bear one another's burdens. That's where prayer becomes essential of praying for each other. And lifting each other up. Because we are going to have those moments where we're overwhelmed. We just are. It's going to happen in life. And I'm not saying that we live in that all the time, because we don't. But when it happens, that's when we are called specifically to be there for each other. Not in judgment, but in love and in support. And so let's make a commitment to pray for one another. And the kind of prayer where we we aren't just doing the, the health and wellness check of, you know, who's sick and needs prayer. But let's pray for things like spiritual health, relational health, wisdom, provision, boldness, and pray for each other that we have the joy of the Lord in our lives. 
When's the last time you prayed that for somebody? Another believer, God, I just want your joy to overcome them. Just, I want your joy in their lives. Whatever, you know, they're facing struggles. They're having a hard time right now. God, I, I pray that your joy would be present in their lives. Wouldn't that be amazing that we just did that for each other all the time? You see, that's why Paul writes this letter and he tells them there are these treasures of the faith that we just ignore. We don't, we don't really use them as God wants us to because we forget that that's what it's about. And us praying for each other, lifting each other up before God and saying, God, I'm not here to get something from you, but God, I'm praying you're active in this person's life. I'm praying that you bless them with your presence and your joy and give them wisdom and boldness to live for you. And we keep doing that. I think God is pleased with that. And he is glad to say yes to those prayers. But that gets us outside of ourselves. And gets us functioning as the body of Christ. Let's pray.